morning. Did I turn it on or off? Yes, turn it on. Now somebody else left their Bible right here. So I'll, I'll, I'll be dual Bibles today. I'll just be double holy. If you'll go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 1, that's where we're going to be today, the main text. I will reference some other passages. And uh, it is a privilege, truly a privilege to be uh, back with you here at Cedarview. It's been quite some time. Some of you have never met me before, and that's okay, but some of you I know well and have known and just love coming here. I love Matt, uh, you know, and it's a privilege and an honor to be here to speak to you today uh, to begin a three-part deal that Sam's coming next week, and then, of course, Pastor Matt will be rounding it out and uh, today's title, Our Hope Reve- Re- Revealed in Ca- Christ's Incarnation. I'm going to put these glasses on because I wrote this and can't even read it. So, uh, Our Hope Revealed in Christ's Incarnation. You know, I think about, uh, and I love the song service, by the way, uh, but Joy in the house of the Lord, a little more upbeat, a little feel. Sometimes you can, as my wife says, get your feel a feel because they play Phil all the time on the radio. But Phil Wickham has wrote some wonderful songs. I believe he truly loves the Lord. And I just want to say to you, there should be joy in the house of the Lord. There should be. And I want to tell you that if your hope is in Christ, you should have joy. Some people don't have joy. Some people sit in the pews or the chairs today in different churches. Some people profess to know Christ, but they have no joy. I'm going to tell you why they have no joy before we get into this, because their hope is not in Christ. They have placed their hope in man. They have placed their hope in their place of employment. They have placed their hope in their family. They have placed their hope in their money. They have placed their hope in something that inevitably is always going to fail. See, we are a fallen people. Do not put your hope in a man. As the psalmist said, don't put your hope in the horses or the things of war, but only in the Lord our God. If you're lacking joy today, there's a problem in your walk with Christ. I don't say that as somebody that can get up here and pretend to have it all together all the time and everything's just coming up roses for me every day. And I'll go, no, I'm, I'm a man. I'm a person just like you. I have my times. I have my moments. I have my struggles. But that doesn't negate the joy that is there because of a relationship with Christ because that's where my hope is. My hope is not in me. I'm not one of those people that you're going to say, hey, do you know Jesus? Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Do you know if you're going to go to heaven? And they say, well, I hope so. We laugh. That's a very sad statement. You see, if you're going to heaven, you know you're going to heaven. You don't hope you're going to heaven. That's a different kind of hope. That's a hope that you may have some expectation but not sure. I can tell you as a Memphis Tiger fan, we hope we win today, but we don't have a lot of security in that because we lose all the time when we're supposed to win. But I hope we win. 
you know, now I know I'm not in the land of the tigers and with all you rebels and bulldogs and whatever you guys are in Alabama. Bowl game's coming up. Some of us hope they don't win. I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry, Amy. I'm sorry. <laughs> Tired of Alabama and Georgia. See, that you can have that kind of hope. I talked to Pastor Matt, and he had a, got to see a big boy the other day in the woods, but he didn't get the chance, and he's going back hoping he sees him again, but he doesn't know. So I'm making a little light, but that's what happens. I hope I get a raise next year. Hey, I hope the economy doesn't fall. I hope we get a new president. And where we mistake our, make the mistakes is we really start putting our hope in those outcomes. That's where we start really, I hope that my child turns to the Lord. That's a great hope. But when that doesn't happen, it doesn't change who Jesus is. And that's why we have, if you really know him, if you really want peace in your life, listen today because I'm going to tell you where to put your hope. Your hope needs to be in the Christ incarnation. So let's look at the text now. John chapter 1. My passage is 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let me pray. Father, have your way today. Lord, if there's somebody here today that's hopeless, they have no joy, Lord, as your word says, you can draw them to you, and I pray they would answer. I pray they would know the eternal hope today and salvation through your son, Jesus. I pray for those of us that know you that may have things happening around us that may shatter our happiness sometimes, that may break our spirit at times, that may bring us to tears Help us to not lose sight of where our real joy comes from, our real peace is, the hope we have in you. Just have your way this morning and speak as you will. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, I said all that about hope. There's a definition of hope that comes from the Scripture, and it's confidence, expectation of good, joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Christ, who's the author of hope, he is its foundation. He's the thing hoped for. The Oxford Dictionary says hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen, sometimes a feeling of trust. What are you hoping for today? What have you placed your hope in today? 
You know, with Christmas coming, some of you people may be hoping you get a certain gift. You may hope family makes it in. You know, you may be hoping for peace on earth. There's only one way that's going to happen. You see, Jesus had to come the first time so he could pay the sin penalty for us, death on the cross and be raised again, so he can come the second time. And that's when we'll have peace. Until then, we're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. You're going to hurt. You're going to have pain. How do I know that? Because Jesus did. Jesus said the world hated him, the world's going to hate you. Jesus was accustomed with suffering. We need to be accustomed with suffering. Not that anybody wishes for it, but we need to understand it's real. And in all of that, it should never change your true hope. Paul speaks of this hope that is a guarantee in 1 Corinthians 15, 19 through 28, in Galatians 5, 5. I'm going to make some references today you may want to jot down and go back and look at. Some will read. He specifically speaks in Romans chapter 8, verses 22 through 25, and he says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see, Paul speaks here of those of us that have the hope in Christ, but we groan inwardly. We wait eagerly for the fulfillment of the day that's going to come for us. But there will be trials along the way. What does the Scripture tell us about trials? They're going to come, and they're to make us stronger. We all, do you pray that your faith would grow? How's your faith going to increase if you never have to put your trust in Christ to help you through a time? Where is your hope? See, all mankind is hopeless left to themselves. Do you feel hopeless today? A lot of people do. There's a lot of people hurting today. There may be some here today. You may not see a way out. You may not see a good outcome. You may literally be hopeless, and you will stay hopeless without Christ. You know why you're hopeless and why I'm hopeless without Christ? Because Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, God is holy. God can't look upon sin. God has no relationship with lostness. What does the light and the darkness have to do together? Nothing. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3 then says, None is righteous, no, not one. And here's the final, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Yes, I know there's another part, and I'm going to get to that. You see, that's what you have to look for when you put your hope in everything but Jesus. The final outcome is death. 
Because nothing else can save you. Nothing else can redeem you. Nothing else can bring you in the right relationship with him unless your hope is in the incarnate Christ who came to this world as a person. God in his grace and mercy didn't leave us to ourselves. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is hope. That is a light. That is something you can look at. But there's no death without life. Jesus paid that price. But let me tell you something. Jesus didn't just sit there with God in heaven for all eternity and say, yeah, I know I'm going to have to pay this price, but I'm going to stay up here and have it pretty cush for a while. I'm not leaving my glory. When it's time, I'll go down there and take care of it. That's not what he did. And that's what leads to the text today. So if you want points, uh, I told Matt I had some points. I don't know if they're on the screen or not, but because uh, I see that, I didn't even see that until just now. First point is he came. I believe in keeping it simple. It says in verse 14 of John chapter 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word, meaning logos, the essential word of God, which is Jesus Christ. It says in verse 1 of this chapter, in the beginning was the word. What beginning? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, that beginning, there's always been. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Try to wrap your mind around that. I've not been able to do it, but I believe it. You see what the Word is saying here? God himself In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. He became flesh in the form of his son, Jesus. The Trinity and all in one, the triune Godhead and the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's a whole topic for another day that I'll let Matt explain to you guys because I can't and don't need to. All I know is God loved us so much that we failed and he didn't leave us to ourselves. and all back in the Old Testament, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute, he prophesied and told us that one would come to save us from our sins. What did Gabriel tell Mary, if you're familiar with the passage, when she said, you're going to have a son. What's he going to do? He's going to save the world. He's going to save us from our sins. Was it just some old son? Was it just another person like me? No, this was the word becoming flesh. That becoming flesh, he was not created. He's always been. But he came. He lowered himself to become man but he was never not God. 
It's important to realize that, that as the Word became flesh, any of you men that have been in the delivery room with your wife, it's beautiful because it's your child. If it was not your child, it would not be beautiful. That's what God did. See, I think about this this song, and I can't remember her name right now that she sings about a labor of love, and it's very detailed in the song, and she's right. This is not some fancy put-on drama for people to gather around and see. This was in a cold night in a stable in a manger in a bloody birth just like any other child would come. There was a cord that had to be severed. There was stuff all over him. He didn't come out looking all glorious and shiny. He came out like any other baby would. He grew up like any other child would except without sin. Let me tell you something. What was Joseph's trade? He was a carpenter. What a trick question. He was a carpenter. What do you think he taught his sons to be? Carpenters. Do you think that because Jesus, being 100% man and 100% God, never missed a nail and hit his thumb? No, of course not. He was a carpenter. You think he never got a splinter? He would not have been a 100% man if those things didn't happen. He would not be able to say, as it does in Hebrews, that not only do we have a high priest, but one that knows all our temptation, knows our struggles, but without sin. You see, I don't believe for one minute that Jesus walked through life and nothing, he never got sick and nothing ever happened to him because it says he knows what we go through. You don't have hope in a Savior who can just look and say, yeah, I've seen what you guys go through, but, you know, I never had to deal with that. No, he knows pain. He knows sorrow. He wept. He hurt. When he came into Jerusalem, it says he looked out and he said, oh, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. Do you not think that was painful for him to have the realization as he looked out of there of so many people that would not know him? He was real. The word became flesh. He did everything that a person does except for sin. And it says, he dwelt among us. He resided with us. He communed with us. You know, in the Old Testament, they would go into the tabernacle to meet with God, and it was the Spirit of God. But this is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. This is the flesh. He tabernacled with us. He lived with us. He walked with them. He talked with them. He slept with them. He worked with them. He said the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. All these health, wealth, and prosperity guys that need new jets and fancy cars and all that stuff. Jesus never owned his own house. 
He slept on the ground. He worked to make a living while he went and shared the gospel with people. This is who you put your hope in. This is real. This is not a bunch of junk where you need to get up and run up and down the aisles and throw money all over the altar and figure, okay, now God's going to send me a blessing. doesn't work that way. If you start doing that in here, after I scoop up all your money and split it with Matt, I'm going to tell him, y'all got a problem over there. <laughs> but I'm never going to tell you that's going to get you anything. It's going to get me something. You see the idea? You put your hope in me because I'm going to tell you how to get blessed by God. All I need you to do is keep funding it. I have to admit that the Bible says we're to hate sin. And that's one of the things that's at the top of my list when it comes to hate and sin. It's people that mislead folks into believing they've got all the answers, but it's not Jesus. I don't want to get off on that. He dwelt among us. He resided. Do you know that scholars differ on this, but it's estimated that the prophecies of the coming of Christ in the Old Testament were between 200 and 400. This is not just one thing, one time it was said. I'll just name you a few. Isaiah seven fourteen, the virgin birth. Isaiah 9, 6, the birth of Emmanuel. Isaiah 28, 16, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That's just, that's just three in Isaiah, just three of them. But not only did he come and not only did he dwell, John says that when he was here, we have seen his glory. His glory, the glory of God. John is saying we've seen the only son. You see what it says? We've seen his glory. The glory is of the only son from the father. John 3.16 says he was the only begotten son. This is something special here. You have to understand this is the only beloved one, a uniqueness. There's no other And they saw this glory as he walked and lived and taught. And they learned from him and they watched him and they lived with him. Matthew Henry says this glory could not be the glory or the splendor or majesty of any other. It was a kingly majesty. John MacArthur said about this right here, this is exclusive character of the relationship of the father and the Son in the Godhead. The only is what John's saying. No one else would do. He came, and he came full of grace and truth. I love this part. He came full of grace and truth. Grace is your graciousness in a manner or an act. It's that which affords joy. Pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, merciful kindness of God, goodwill, favor. We sing about goodwill unto men this time of year. It's goodwill all year when you know God. 
when you know the Lord is your Savior. You have favor. It's exerting his holy influence upon souls. It's the very grace that he extends to you and I. Do you know even lost people experience God's grace? People that will never know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, people that die and go to hell, there was a time in their life that they experienced God's grace. And Jesus is full of that grace he came. It says he came full of truth, of verity, what is true in things appertaining to God and the duties of man, what is true in any manner under consideration. Do you know that word truth right there is the very same word that Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. He came full, complete, lacking nothing, perfect, filled up. That's how he came. He came so full of this grace and truth. And I like how John the Apostle mentions John the Baptist right here as he writes this. He says, and this is in verse 15, this is John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. John the Baptist bore witness. His testimony validates what John the Apostle saying right here. This is the one. This is the one. So that was, he came. The second point, we received. Look at verse 16 and 17. Remember I talked about how full of grace and truth, the scripture talks about it. And now look what it says. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. If you don't... You, I'm telling you if, you, if you leave this place today after hearing what God has said about himself, about his son, and you have no joy and you have no hope, you need to fall on your knees and call out to him. He, he came and we received from his fullness. We received grace upon grace. That's piloting on his fullness, his abundance or completeness and when it says we received, it's to take, to receive what is offered, to not refuse or reject, to receive what is given. He gives it freely. He gives it freely. Now, men reject, and we know they do. Jesus says in just a couple chapters over, men are condemned because they don't believe. This says he comes and in his fullness we receive grace upon grace. We receive what the Bible talked about, what the definition of grace that I mentioned a minute ago, and I'll go back over here to it. The graciousness that affords joy, the pleasure, the delight, the merciful kindness, the goodwill, all those things. We receive it piled on top of it, piled on top of it, piled on top of it, and on and on. I don't know if any of y'all ever look at the Amplified Bible. I like to use it when I study. I love it. And this is what it says about this verse. 
For out of his fullness or abundance, we have all received, all had a share, and we are all supplied with one grace after another, and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, and even favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. Is that you today? Do, do you know the Jesus that I'm talking about? You see, some of you, I just have to tell you, I don't know. I can't talk about my Lord and think about that without not having joy because I'm reminded of where my hope is. You see, you understand, God is sovereign. He's always been, always will be. He's always known everything. He's never needed anybody to show him anything. He's never needed a man to let him know what he was going to do. God always knew. So God always knew I would live my life in the sorry state that I lived it. But because of that grace that he's so full of, that mercy, he said, I'm going to save him. I'm going to adopt him. He's going to be one of my children. And not only did he do that, he just keeps piling it on. It doesn't matter if I have a bad day, a bad week, a bad month. If, uh, you know, if things don't go well sometimes, if I act ignorant at home or, you know, if I mess up at work or if I have a, whatever the case is or if it could get a lot more serious than that, it never changes the fact that he continues to give grace upon grace. He measures it out as he sees fit. The scripture does not say that our hope in him, that the grace upon grace, that he's full of truth, is dictated by the circumstances around us. God doesn't cut it off. You see, when you have someone in your family that you love that is hurt extremely bad, it didn't mean that God was not gracious. Yeah, it's pain. It's human pain. My family's lived it. We understand. It's not easy to go through. My son lives with it for the rest of his life. But he will tell you it doesn't change God's grace and goodness and love and mercy. When he's not at work, he's on the stage at his church with the worship team playing guitar. One real leg, one fake leg. But he's up there because he still loves him. Him laying on the interstate almost dying doesn't change God's goodness and mercy. We don't understand why things happen. When you have a child that turns away from the Lord and walks away and breaks your heart, it doesn't change who God is. That's why I'm saying I look out here and see you. You should have hope and joy if you know this Jesus, the one that came in the flesh and dwelt among us. That was the start of the process that he was going to take your debt that you could never have borne. But he didn't do it for just one of us. He did it for all of us. Why do you think on the cross he said, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? The Bible says plain English, God looked away. Why did he look away? He didn't stop loving his son. It was because there was so much sin on him. 
and it wasn't his. That's why you don't have to wait for Christmas time to have hope. You don't have to wait for Christmas time to have joy. You don't have to wait for Christmas time to sing the songs you sing. You don't have to wait for Christmas time to be merry and bright. Jesus is year-round. Hope does not change. For upon his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Verse 17, for the law, remember I said we receive, for the law, that was first, was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law had to come. Moses brought the law. God gave it to him to deliver it. The schoolmaster, the demand for faith, the demand for perfection. See, God sent the law, the demand for holiness, to show man the need for a Savior. You understand God's law was not written and handed to Adam and Eve. God didn't create everything in five days and then form man out of the dust and breathe the very life into him in his image and then take a rib and create a woman and put them in a beautiful, perfect place. He didn't give them the law. They didn't need the law because everything was perfect and there was no sin yet. The law came after sin to show us we needed a Savior now. I said something in there I hope you know. Maybe this gives you a little more hope and gives you a little more joy. God said, let there be light. It was good. Let there be animals. I'm a, I always get it all out of order, whatever. He created everything. He said it was good. But on that sixth day, it doesn't say he spoke man into existence. He formed man out of the dust and breathed the very life into him. After he, his son, the Holy Spirit said, let us make man in our image. So the reason you can feel, the reason you can laugh, the reason you can cry, the reason you can think, the reason you can reason, if you can say that, the reason you can live is because you're made in his image. It doesn't mean we look just like God. I believe God looks better than me. I know he does because it's not going to be that kind of looking. But I'm made in his image. I'm somebody. I matter. Doesn't matter if I'm white, if I'm black, if I'm Hispanic, if I'm Italian, if I'm Japanese, because I've never seen red and yellow, black and white people. As this little song says, I've seen people that look like us and all kinds of people. And not one person is more valued than the other because everybody was made in God's image. And he loved all these people that he's made from the beginning until now and that he'll continue to make in his image so much that he had to make a way for us to be in right relationship with him and it was through Jesus coming in the flesh. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. He sent that law and we said, oh no, we're hopeless. We can't be perfect. Only the Pharisees thought they had it right. Some of us today, 
Well, I try to be a good person. I, I think my goods outweigh my bad. That's real stuff. People say that today. I said that stuff. I try not, I, you know, I try not to hurt anybody. I'm trying to clean myself up. And it's all hopeless. Because God says, no, that's not what my law says. My law says be perfect. In other words, be just like me. And not one person, save Jesus, has ever been able to do it. So God gave the law through Moses, but that grace and truth truth came through Jesus Christ. And because he came and because we've received, now we know. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God. I love that. I love that right there. You know, I never really thought about that until I was studying for this passage. God makes sure he gets it in there. The only God. None of that other stuff you people worship. None of that other stuff you build up. You know, in DeSoto County, don't get offended if this, if, I don't mean it this way, but we have this one God called education. And then we have this other one called sports. And then we have this other one called our houses. And we got this other one called my, my Super Duty F-250 whatever. We got all kind of gods. God says, I'm the only one. All those little gods you're worshiping that you're building, that you're making yourself or that you're following after or whatever it is, they can't save you. They can't give you any grace and truth. You know what they can give you in the end? Broken hearts. Shatteredness. It's all going to burn up one day. It's not going to be here. It's not going to matter. But this is a God who never fails. So he says, no one has ever seen God, the only God. Who is at the Father's side? He has made him known. That who is Jesus. He starts at the Father's side. He ends at the Father's side. See, he didn't just return to glory after the crucifixion. He came from glory. He's always been glory. It's too mind-boggling for me. I'll be honest with you, if I could go to seminary and school every day for the rest of my life, I don't think I'd understand that. And you know what? I don't care. I don't need to. I just need to believe it. But I know one thing. I think I know a little more about it, experience him in a personal way. That Jesus would lower himself from his throne to come live like me, without the sin, but as a man, and die for me, and one day he's going to come for me. And I'll be honest with you, he could come right now. I'm ready. I'm ready because my hope 
is in him. It's not in me. Please, if, if he were to show up right now, don't try to run up there and say, wait, 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 look, I put some, I'm going to put some money in the plate. No, 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 I came up there and helped paint the church. Oh, oh, I've, I, I, I've given some presents. So that's not what he wants. What he wants is you. Full surrender. Not just Savior, but Lord. They go together. They're inseparable. The one who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Do you know the Bible is very clear that no one's ever seen God? The Bible says that if you did, you'd die. You know, he had to put Moses in the cleft of the rock and just let him catch the backside of his glory because if he ever saw him, he would die. And when Moses, just what he got to see and experience, when he came off the mountain, the people couldn't even look upon him. And they didn't have sunglasses back then. Trying to lighten it up a little bit. So nobody's ever seen God, but Jesus came and made him known. He came, he declared him, everything about Jesus, what he does, what he says, all that he's ever done, all that he will do, all that he is, makes known for us God. John 14, 6 says, not only no one comes to the Father except through Jesus, John 14, 9, and 10. I'm going to turn over there real quick. It says, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me. I am in the Father and the Father's in me. You see, John is saying, John the Apostle is saying, he came, we've seen him, we've seen his glory, and he made God known. God has revealed himself through this only begotten Son. He wants you to have hope and peace. I'm going to close with this. John chapter 17. John chapter 17, if you're not familiar with it, is where Jesus is praying. This is really real. His, he's praying. And I'm going to read you this, starting in verse 1. Listen to this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent.
Do you see that Jesus is praying? And if you read that whole chapter, he didn't just pray for those that were around him then. He prayed for those that were to come. He prayed for you, that you would know him, that you would know the only God. And I like how he puts his name in there. He talks in, what is that, third person. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you know him? I asked you early on, I'll ask again, what do you have your hope in today? Where is it? Where have you placed it? You see, it's not going to matter if it's not him. It's not going to satisfy you. It's not going to bring you peace. A lot of people hope for peace, especially this time of year. People get depressed and discouraged. I mentioned earlier, people want peace on earth and all that. You can't know peace until you know God. And then if you know God, you can know the peace of God. Hope in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He came. He came for you and I. He came because he loves. He came for a task that was not pleasant. He wasn't looking forward to it. You know how I know that? You know how I know that Jesus didn't just come down here when he was born and he lived this life and after three years of public ministry, he said, all right, it's time. You know, he didn't do some psych up dance, smacking himself all over the face and going there like I'm not going to feel any of this and I got to do this. It says he was in the garden and he prayed and he said, Father, is there any other way? But this is how much he loved you. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. See, he loved the Father so much that he loved the bride so much that if you just look at that in the context, it's like, I'm not looking forward to this, but I know this is what's got to happen. And he did it. But you have hope because that baby that was born in that manger is alive today. And he loves you so much that if you'll just surrender your life to him, not accept him, he doesn't need your acceptance. Do what the Bible says. Receive him. Trust him. Confess him. Believe him. There's no hope like it. I'm telling you, you you can't experience anything like it. Doesn't mean your life's going to be perfect. Doesn't mean every Christmas is going to be just what you want it to be doesn't mean everything's going to go your way, doesn't mean there'll be no more pain nor sorrow, but what it does mean is he'll walk with you all the way through it. He'll carry you, and one day he'll bring you home to where it will be perfect, will be 
sin free. See, that's the hope. One day, one day, they won't be fighting over in Israel. They won't be fighting over in Russia and the Ukraine. They won't be doing the stuff they do on the streets right here where we live. They won't be dying. They won't be sick. They won't be hurting. But the main thing is that they won't be separated. And we will see him face to face and live forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the hope you give us. And I ask you today, if there's one here that would say, what in the world is this guy talking about? I don't have any joy and peace like that. I don't have any hope. Father, draw them. As Jesus said, they can't come unless you draw them. Draw them to you. Have your way in their lives and help the rest of us encourage all those around us to see there is real peace. There is real love, real joy. Help us, as Jesus made the Father known, help us to make Jesus known. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please stand for just a closer walk with thee.